Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We've been talking about a lot of things this week, and one of the things when I say we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God that everybody should realize is you do know that it is at hand, that it's not coming in 2,000 years. It's at hand right now. That's what we were supposed to preach, go and preach to all nations, all men, all people, that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is within your reach. That's what they're saying right now. For the living, not for the dead. Now what is that kingdom? How does it work? How do you get to it? Where where are you? Where do you look for it? It says seek it. Seek it first above all things. And everything else will be supplied unto you. And... That's where you should be going every day. Every day that you wake up, every day you work, every day you play, every day you do anything. You should be seeking the kingdom of God. Now, what is that? Now, we could talk about it in a metaphysical sense, in a quantum sense, in a string theory sense. We have a show on string theory in relationship to multidimensional worlds, which, of course, is what the Bible's been talking about from the beginning. It talks about heaven and hell and earth and angels coming and going and veils opening up. And and now string theory scientists, many of whom are atheists, start saying, oh, we don't believe in the Bible. We believe in multiple dimensions. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to a minister just this week, and, and I... What he said was not necessarily untrue, but from one point of view. And that's one of the things that you have to realize is that from a certain point of view, things that we say may be not true. It's because we are saying something with words. And the way in which those words are interpreted will determine whether or not what we say is true or not. Now, what we say from our point of view may be true, but from the point of view of the listener, it may be false because they interpret the words that we use differently than we intended them to mean. That's very easy to do because words have multiple definitions. They can mean a number of different things. And when you make one sentence up, you may have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten words. Each one having a slightly different or sometimes extremely different definition. And how the individual hears those words is going to determine the meaning of those words in his mind. It may not be your intent, but it's how he perceives it. Now, when you write these words down in a Bible or in a letter and somebody puts it in a Bible... Then somebody can come along and say, well, he meant this, and he meant that. And when he wrote this, he meant this. And that's private interpretation. And it doesn't matter whether it's done by the Pope, or by an Archbishop, or by a Cardinal, or by a theologian, or by a university. It's still a private interpretation. You don't have the right to change the meaning of the author's words. They mean what he meant. Now, the question is, what did he mean? We talk about what we think it meant. 
and we are perfectly willing to let you talk about what you think it meant. But what it meant is what it meant, not my private opinion. And I'm sure that many of you will disagree with my private opinion, but I'm not imposing my opinion on you. I don't operate by force. I don't operate by violence. I don't go out and burn people at the stake because they have a different opinion than I do. I'm seeking the ways of Christ. Christ didn't do those kinds of things. Why should we be doing those kinds of things? So, that's very important to understand as we progress in today's topic, which is steps towards the kingdom. And, uh, you know, I started this years ago, and many of you have heard the story, and I won't go through it all again. But I, the first book I wrote was Covenants of the Gods, and recently somebody gave me an audio of uh, Dr. Robert Rowan, uh, who appeared on a radio talk show, Coast to Coast, with, I think, George Norrie. And uh, he was talking about toxic currency. He wrote a book with somebody else named Ron McDonald. And that book was They Own It All, I think. And I haven't read the book, but I know that they have read my stuff on the Internet. Covenants of the Gods, the entire book is up there. It's on an HTML and PHP and, and uh, PDF format, so you can read it for free because all of our, our published books are up there for free because we're a church. We're not a commercial enterprise. But they, uh, they came to a number of conclusions that the that we're all owned, that we're all human resources, that we're all merchandise. That's something that Peter prophesied. And he told us how we would become that merchandise. And they actually said it's because of the toxic currency. It all stems back to this toxic currency, this Federal Reserve note system, which according to Charles A. Lindbergh Sr., who was there when they passed it back in the 1913 uh, said it would create the largest trust in the history of the world. And that, that, of course, it has done that, and the trust is somewhat bankrupt. So the collateral has become all the land of all the people, and it's in possession of people who are subject. So therefore, even they, the people themselves, are in this trust now. And who is the overseer of this trust? Now, there are trustees who have brought this about. And these are, you know, the traveling merchants of the earth. You might call them, if you use biblical terms, you might use other terms, uh, Class A stockholders of the Federal Reserves uh, throughout the world. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. There's only was a few countries that did not have a Federal Reserve type system. Ours was really instituted by... Uh, the Warburgs, who also instituted it in uh, Germany before World War II, and uh, one of them was over here instituting it here, and then there are, of course, the stockholders that are going to set it up to begin with, and they're very iniquitous systems, and we go into that in other places. That's not really the topic of today, and it does play in a, a critical part in the whole scheme of things, but there's a lot more to it than that. And like my book, The Covenants of the Gods, which covers all this in sufficient detail with 800 footnotes and was written long before 
Robert Rowan came out with They Own It All, but Robert Rowan gets on <laughs> coast to coast. And actually, some of the information he said was very true, but some of it was actually misinformation and misdirection. But that's it because it gets rather complicated. But the point is, is that at the beginning of the book, Covenants of the Gods, we say there is no solution in this book. We don't suggest a solution in this book, which is, of course, why we wrote the other books. But it set the groundwork so that you would understand that you've all gone back into the bondage of Egypt, you've all, which was considered a rejection of God, and you've done this through a number of different ways. The currency has played a part in it, but really knowing that isn't going to change anything. It's not going to get you out of the system. It's not going to get you uh, your land out of the system. It's not going to help you survive once you're out of the system. It's just part of the instrumentality of your present state of bondage. You are again uh, back in the bondage of the elements of the world and we'll get to that and what that means. But understanding that much it still doesn't understand where you're at in this whole scheme and you need to orient yourself in this scheme and get a picture of what the scheme all curtails in order to find your way out successfully. In other, in other words, to find the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God instead of being a possession of the world. And whenever I use that word world, a lot of times you'll see me put it in italics. It's because there are five different Greek words that mean world, or at least are translated into world in the New Testament. One of them actually just means age or period of time. Another one means constitutional order or system of government. Another one means inhabited places. Now, the one that you see me put into italics, that's the one that means constitutional order or system of government. An organized corporate body of people. That's the world. It's organized. But it's organized in a particular way. And we're going to talk about that too before we're done. So that you understand the difference between organized religion and religious people who are organized. Because both are organized religion, but they mean a little bit different things, depending on your point of view again. So, to know what I'm talking about, you really have to pay attention. You really have to listen to more than just one show or two shows. You have to maybe actually do some reading, some seeking. To figure out where am I going with all this? What what is this really all about? So you know, one of the things he talked about was uh, ratified Sixteenth uh, Amendment or not, and this was uh, way back uh, when somebody was writing up the gotcha brief back uh, dealing with a number of people that had tried to depend. They actually had a pretty good case, and then all of a sudden they shifted over to this. The 16th Amendment was never passed. And I told them, I wrote them back as soon as they sent me. It was about a two-inch thick brief. I don't know why they call them briefs. Uh, well, actually, I do, but that's a little bit of a pun there. But uh, that brief, uh, when you, I could see them shift over to this. The 16th Amendment was never passed. And they have a lot of legally passed uh, because it wasn't ratified in all the states according to the way in which it should be ratified. And the judge, I wrote him back and said the judge doesn't need the 16th Amendment. It has nothing to do with the 16th Amendment. And you're going to lose the case and the judge is 
you know, going to say this, 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 this. And they wrote me back a couple of months later and said that uh, my words were prophetic. For the judge said exactly what I uh, said that he was going to say. And basically said it was all very, uh, he actually was kind of forthcoming. He said it was very interesting, this information they gave about the 16th Amendment. But I don't need the 16th Amendment in order to rule on this case. Because income tax has nothing to do with the 16th Amendment, not for private individuals. So, and it's unneeded for corporations. So, anyway, but that gets into a whole complicated area. We're not going to go there right now. You're going to have to go read the book and start figuring these things out. The point is, is that if you don't know the whole picture, you can get lost. That's why you need a kind of a road map that kind of understands the direction that's going to make a difference. Because you're going to go down all these side avenues and waste all your energy. And the enemy loves that. You know, divert you over here and divert you over there. Get you to expend your resources chasing rabbits down rabbit holes that don't go anywhere. You know, people talk about rabbit trails all the time. And I'm a big rabbit trailer and we're just coming off of one now. But a rabbit, if you're hunting rabbits, when you scare them up out in the desert, they run out straight seemingly but you'll see them curving off in a direction as they go out if you can watch them far enough and what they're doing is circling around they're very short they're not tall and they're circling around as they run and they're going to come back in a circle to their hole and so if you understand that and you have dogs chasing those rabbits well, I don't hunt rabbits anymore but I know people who have but anyway, they'll, the dog will be chasing it out, and they don't run after the dog. They know that this will come around in an arc, and so they wait for that rabbit to come around in the circle. So that's rabbit trails. But chasing it down the hole is a waste of time, because you're just going to be digging for nothing, because he's going to go out another way. And so that's what we often do. We're chasing rabbits down a hole. We don't need to do that. We need to orient ourselves on the map to understand what direction we're supposed to go in and focus on that direction. This is what Christ was preaching, what John the Baptist was preaching when he said, repent, turn around. And he actually gave you, in the course of the Bible, which most people miss, the actual path that you're going to follow. What you need to actually do. And we're going to get around to that, but we're going to show you in real terms, in real ways today, in a real method by which you can seek the kingdom of God. And when you know you're off the path, and when you know you're on the path, and it will make a difference between being set free by Christ and being dragged farther into bondage by everybody else. And Christ and Moses were the same, so Jews should listen as well. And since we can take this back to Abraham, and Abraham was actually the father of more than just uh, Judaism and, and the Muslim religion and the Christian religion and the Hindu religion and the Buddhist religion, he is really a key element in history. And we go into that in the book, That Kingdom Comes. But most people don't, under, all these religions don't agree, they've organized themselves, but they don't agree with each other and they actually even battle each other. But they can stem their origins back to Abraham. It's because they don't really know what Abraham was doing. And Abraham was following this path that we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about the path today uh, based on the 12 steps as published by Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. And 
this was something that somebody brought up that they thought there was great similarities between what his church is doing and what Alcoholic Anonymous has done. And really, and that there's also evidently a NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous or something like that. And um, they follow the same 12 steps. And we're going to go over those 12 steps and see how this correlates to what Christ said and what we are doing and what you can do. Because right now you're addicted to sin. You're addicted to a world that is dragging you in the direction of destruction. It is taking you the wrong way, down a one-way street, towards the kingdom of God. Like I've said many times before, all roads lead to Rome, and all roads lead to the kingdom of God. But it depends on what direction you're going. Now, some of you have heard my show on string theory, and uh, some of the shows on uh, uh, where we talk about quantum and we've done this in order to again give you a glimpse of the spiritual nature of the kingdom because the kingdom has more than a spiritual nature it has a physical nature too and this is all manifest in creation and real briefly we talked about the fact that modern science many of whom are atheists are beginning to believe that there are parallel dimensions and they describe these dimensions and the nature of these dimensions, and it fits exactly into what the Bible says. And a lot of people says, oh, no, no, we can't go there. You know, the Bible is what it says it is, and it's nothing else. But the fact is, it's been translated. They've used terms, you know, like uh, veil, and science uses terms like membrane. And and uh, they use uh, dimensions, and we use realms, and... So we have all these different terms that really kind of mean the same thing and they're talking to precepts and principles and that's exactly what the Bible has been talking about. And the fact is, you have knowledge in yourself. Writers, authors, uh, movie makers, they see things in their subconscious. They dream dreams and they come up and write stories and those stories reflect these principles of creation. Sometimes they reflect the, the history. Uh, sometimes they reflect the future events of the world. And these stories come up. And you say, like, where did that come from? Well, these people are seen through a dim glass. And they see the future. They see the present. And they write these stories. I mean, your movies like The Matrix. and uh, They don't even see how much they see. And often, as soon as they become successful, they begin to lose sight. Which is why... The other episodes weren't as clear <laughs> full of the symbolism as the first one sometimes. But anyway, uh, years ago, a guy by the name of Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, uh, they got together in, in, in AA. They're, they're from Akron, Ohio. And they got uh, together, and uh, they're called Bill W. and Dr. Bob a lot of times. But they started this idea eventually that became these 12 steps to helping alcoholics overcome their addiction. And really, you could make AA stand for Addiction Anonymous. But of course, now that that's all copyrighted. And they're very focused. And they've got some really great ideas. And what's happened today in the world is that we have become addicted to sin. We've become addicted to 
benefits. We become addicted to praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And that what should have been for our welfare has become a snare and we are again in bondage in the elements of the world. The problem isn't the fact that there is a world out there that would like to have you in bondage. The problem is is that you were drawn into it. Like an alcoholic drawn drawn to his drink. And you need to overcome your addiction. And you you cannot do this alone. And you have a process and uh an approach that you need to take on. And Christ was telling you this. And I was amazed. I actually looked it up last night. The 12 steps went over them. And evidently there's also 12 traditions. And I'm looking at the parallels. Because someone brought this up. That's on our network. The Living Network. Which you can get it onto at hisholychurch.org. And I recommend that everybody do. Because there's a lot more to learn. And it's always good to learn in a study group. It's good to learn with other people because they've they've gone over some of the problems that you're going to have trouble with and they can help you. And the really valuable thing in that is not that they will help you, but in a group, you get the opportunity of helping others. And hopefully you'll understand why that's so important before we're done today. But back in the 30s and 40s, they created these guidelines and principles of their... Uh, their system of Alcoholic Anonymous, and we're going to go over that today. But we're going to correlate these problems and solutions with what the Kingdom of God is really all about, and how you seek it, and how some of the same precepts we see them stumbling upon in dealing with alcoholics can help you in overcoming your addiction to the world. Because it's your addiction to the world, world, again, constitutional order and system of government, that offers all these benefits, but exercises authority one over the other that brought you into one purse that became a snare. As Paul talks about, as David talks about, as Proverbs talks about, over and over and over again, all throughout the Bible. But all these ministers today don't even hit on it, although some of them are stumbling on it because there's an awakening taking place. But also with that awakening, there's something else that's taking place. And a minister told me the other day, he says that there is no gray area. And I corrected him. And, and the fact is, he was speaking again from a certain point of view. From that point of view, it was correct. But if we get our point of view too focused, we, don't, we lose sight of the whole picture. And ministers need a broader view of the whole picture because they're going to be helping people in lots of different areas. So when I say there is a gray area, and that's where we live. Now, heaven, that's not a gray area. Hell, that's not a gray area. That's a dark area. It has to bring its own light. Because it has no light. So it has to get it somewhere else. And it gets it by burning you up, by consuming you. That's where it gets life. It consumes others. In heaven, there's a source of life. But in hell, they broke off. And they're separate. But heaven and hell, there's a battle going on, and that's where we live. We're between those two worlds. On one side, there's death and consumption and violence. On the other side, there's light and life and giving of life and liberty under God. 
and we're in between. And we're walking around with all these other people. And within this dimension that we live in, there's multiple dimensions. Layers of the dimension. We see all those, but we don't see sometimes the distinction between those layers. And that's where we're going to go. We're going to start showing you the distinction. Because you could be being drawn towards evil while they're saying you're drawn towards good. So we're going to show you how to turn around and how to go the way when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about an addiction to sin, and we're going to look at some ways in which to escape from sin. And you cannot escape from sin of your own accord. You must and always have needed help. It's like being in quicksand. That's the nature of sin, is that you're in a quicksand mire. The dog returns to his vomit, and the pig to his mire. And he is wallowing in that, he's stuck in that, and he cannot get out of that unless he becomes something other than a pig and a dog. That's right, you have to be changed intrinsically, inside, or you will constantly be drawn back to that mire. And so, you need something else to change you. And this is we're going to lay this out so you can see that. So... It's about changing this direction so that ye may be changed in the striving and seeking of that direction. And this is one of the things, one of the most insidious, most evil plots of the dark side is to get you to think that you can either do it yourself or it's done already and you have to do nothing at all. Both of those are the extreme. You cannot do it yourself, but you must do something. And this is something that is repeated over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. You must be doers of the word. Uh, works, uh, faith without works is dead. And yet we have ministers out there saying, oh, there's nothing you can do. Oh, it's not by works. It's, and if you even suggest doing something, oh, no, no, it's not by works. Because they want to keep you from works. And the fact is, is your works are not going to be perfect. And they're not going to be righteous. And they're going to be a deception. And they're going to be an error. But Christ said to seek. To go in a particular direction. He said repent. And seek. Repenting is turning around and going another way. And going that other way will look like works. And in that other way, it will require you to work. Which is why he says strive. And in that process, you're going to come face to face with how weak you are. And you're going to see your weakness. 
And in that, there will be strength. If you continue to see it, admit it, accept it. What got us into trouble in the garden is denial. We turned away. We hid. We tried to cover up with a fig leaf, which is another whole story in itself, what that really means. We get lost in the metaphors and we miss. You know, the metaphors of people drawing naked people in a garden and covering themselves with fig leaves and, and that sort, that's adding. That's private interpretation. Well, you don't know that there was an actual fig leaf. And if you study the language, you'll understand why I say that. But anyway, someone who is on our network, who actually has some familiarity with AA, suggested that what his church was doing was very close to what they do in AA. And so that was curious, because I've heard that more than once. And so, and I, I didn't really know anything about AA, Alcoholic Anonymous. So, uh, I said, you know, somebody research this and get back to me. Well, eventually that individual wrote a letter, and in that letter uh, he said a number of things, and I'll quote some of these things, because I thought they were showing the process of how people were making these connections. Uh, he talks about a number of different examples, but then he says the disease concept, which it's uh, addiction, the drug's use, uh, is merely a symptom of the disease. So it seems to me that sin, as Christians would say, is merely a symptom of a bigger problem. That's true. That is right on the money. He is very perceptive in order to see that. We have a tendency to think that, oh, we don't want to do this thing because that's a sin. And it creates a black mark over here on a physical list that we have sinned over here. And we want all that list blotted out. But the fact is that sin is a symptom of a problem. We live in a cause and effect universe. And sin will result based on a choice that we make an alignment, a direction that we make. He gives an example. The knowledge of good and evil coupled with self-will run riot. The disease itself is incurable, but it can be arrested. Okay, self-will. We're all born with this self-will, self-preservation, this selfishness, and this willingness to decide good and evil, decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We are born fatherless. We have a physical father, a fleshly father, but he often is a sinner as well. And so we are born with this natural tendency to be selfish. I want. I need. And there's a place for that. But we must wean ourselves from the selfishness in order to reattach ourselves to life. You know, like the panda bear that's born so fragile, tiny little thing, and comes out and crawls up its mother until it can attach itself to this nipple, and that's where it lives. It's not hooked to an umbilical cord. It's this little pink, almost insignificant little mouse. And if it makes it and attaches itself, it will grow from there. Well, other species, you know, the animal grows... But all species, you know, when it's born, it's fairly helpless. And then it must 
get more nourishment from its mother. And so, so it is with us that we need some sort of nourishment until we can stand on our own. And so we have this selfishness that draws us to find that nourishment. But we are not matured. We cannot stay constantly connected. We will never mature to the full extent of our existence unless we are weaned from selfishness. He goes on and writes, We are not responsible for our disease, but we are responsible for our recovery. In other words, the, the, the baby is not guilty. But it is born with this natural tendency to be selfish. And that's okay. Where is it going to go from there? He goes on to say, All I'm really saying is that the 12-step program have very similar ideas. I had once spoken to a contact minister. That's someone on our network. They call contact ministers. Contact ministers are personal contact ministers. And they're just elected by the people. They're not a part of any religious organization. They're, they're a contact minister because somebody chose them to help keep them in contact with other people. It's kind of like a sponsor thing. You know, they realize they're addicted to sin, that they're caught up in bondage, that they want to be separate from that bondage. They don't want to bring other people into bondage, and they, they want to gather together with others. And work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So they pick a guy who said he volunteered to help people connect. Anyway, he said that he talked to this contact minister in this area who was trying to get the ideas of how to get people to get involved in HHC. I suggested that the uh, commonalities between the people in AA and NA... And he he said they don't do things in Jesus' name, so they were not good candidates for HHC. There is a place in the scriptures where the apostles said that very same thing. Well, the reality was that's not actually what it said, but I know what he's trying to say, and I, I don't disagree with what he's trying to say. Let's take a look in the Bible. It says in Luke 9.49, or let's go back all the way down to 9.48. Uh, and it said unto them, Whoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Now who needs ministering to more than a child? A child needs ministering, needs help, needs service, needs to be taken care of. And he talks about Serving this child, receiving this child and this child's needs and this child's selfishness, receiving it and giving to the child as the child really needs, not just, you know, fill them up on candy and stuff, but filling its true needs in his name. Does that mean, I receive you, child, in the name of Jesus? No. It means in his character. His character, his character is one that came to serve. So, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they say, oh, I love children. You know, I love them. They're so cute and cuddly and, you know, and all that, you know, what they call cheek pinchers. They love children not because of what they can give the child, but because of what the child gives them. They, they literally are feeding off of that child. And we'll talk more about that another time. But anyway, Luke 9.49. 
goes on to say, and John answered and said, answered. So he's, this is a continuation of that original idea. He says, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name and forbade him because he followeth not with us. So that's where the difference is. It wasn't that the others weren't using his name. They were not with us using his name. And again, using his name is not saying Jesus or Yeshua. It's actually doing it according to the character of Jesus. According to the ways of Jesus. And the problem was these people weren't doing it with them. They were doing it separately. They wanted to be separate. They didn't want to be connected. And what did Jesus answer? And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. But he's talking about he that is not against us doing it according to my name. My character is for us. So he doesn't have to necessarily be connected with us. And and people can have their churches and their congregations and not be connected with us. And we don't forbid them. But if they're not connected with us, they're not connected with us. And they are separate from us. They may be with Christ and they may be doing things in His name. They may not be doing things well in His name and they may be confused. But maybe they are seeking the kingdom and we don't forbid them. We don't burn them at the stake. But they are not with us. So that's important and that those precepts will come up later and you'll see those in the, uh, what AA does as well. Uh, he goes on to quote Buckminster Fuller once said, you never change something by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And now that's one way to look at it. And here's another way to look at it. If the pig keeps returning to the mire, change the pig into something else other than a pig. And he won't go back and get into the mire. Because you can take the pig out of the mire, but you can't take the love of the mire out of the pig. You can take the man out of Egypt, but you can't take the love of Egypt out of the man. As long as you want to rule over your brothers, you will always go into bondage. So, the trick is not to take you out of bondage, but take you out of selfishness. Take you out of pride. Take you out of arrogance. Take you out of the desire to rule over others. And the desire to just be separate from others so that you only... And I can guarantee you, the guys who want to be separate, and they don't want to rule over anybody, but I just want to be separate, deep down, they want to rule over others. They will find somebody to rule over. Uh, I often find these people brutalizing their wives. Uh, because they, they don't want to rule over a lot of people, but they want to rule over somebody. But anyway... He he talks about us forming a, a network and you can go anywhere in the world and, and get help if you ask. And he's talk, comparing that to AA and NA. Well, actually, the Essenes had done that same thing almost in every village throughout Judea and, and much of the Roman Empire. You could go and find an Essene house. And the there was a motto that appears in their writing, Knock and the door shall be open to you. They were willing to help people all over the place and almost anybody. And they would help them. But there was, in order to do this properly, you have to have a certain nature. Because evil people come to the door. And if you have a certain nature, it will repel them. 
They will want to get out of there. They will not want to stay there. And this is one of the experiences that we've discovered. And again, it goes back to this idea that we live in the gray area. And on one side, there's the kingdom of God. And on the other side, there's the kingdom of hell. And in this dimension where we live, there are a lot of people that are closer to hell. And in this string theory, every molecule of your body is connected in these little tiny substances so small that it's far beyond the smaller than protons, neutrons, and, and electrons by huge amounts. And these substances are stretched. And they're actually stretched between these two realms. And you're either being pulled towards one or you're being pulled towards the other. And we make up stories and cartoons about, you know, an angel on our right shoulder that's from hell. And he's trying to coax us into doing things this way. And there's another angel on our other shoulder that's trying to coax us to do things the right way. And we're pulled between these two. And, and Chinese philosophies of yang and yang talk about this, these two uh, ideas of pulling apart and counteracting each other and allowing existence because of the two. And that's right. It, to some degree, they do allow the existence within this realm that's stretched between these two other realms. And so you'll have people in this realm that are more in hell already. They're still in this realm. You see them walking around. Than they are in heaven. And you'll have other people that have these traces of heaven in them. Because they're actually not far from the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom. To this fellow who perceived that all the law was broke down into two basic concepts. Love that God and love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, when we see these tracks, what we call kingdom tracks, in the life of somebody, we say, hey, hey, that person's not far from the kingdom. And when we see these other tracks in their life, you know, what you see in, you know, the self-righteous socialist, you say, oh, you're not far from the kingdom of hell. And when you talk to the one, they ca you, you cannot get them to perceive anything that you're beginning to see in the other. They're, you know, people are worried about a zombie apocalypse. It's here, folks. It's here right now. The zombies are all around you. You can see him coming out of boater booths everywhere. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the fellow went on to write, when I looked up the term uh, preach in the dictionary, uh, there were two definitions. One was preach in the manner that was abrasive, and the other was to preach in a manner that was persuasive. And actually, if you look at the word preach, in the Old Test, uh, in the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament as well, but in the New Testament, uh, there's a particular word in the New Testament that is translated "preach" about 50 times, but it actually means to publish, and it actually has it's a it's a government term. It means to herald or officiate as a herald, to proclaim uh, the ways of the king, you know, the rules of the king, the law of the king. And so, these are government terms. It wasn't like you see in churches today where somebody's just getting up there and being an order. He was actually saying something that was very specific. Uh, he also talks in his letter, he says, clean refers to living without using drugs or, or basically alcohol or whatever it is. Uh, reliance 
on man-made government is also an addiction. So are you clean? Are you dependent upon those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other? If not, you're still addicted. You still have that need. And we don't want you to go cold turkey. We want you to be changed so that you no longer have an interest in that. But in order to be changed, you have to move in a direction where you can actually survive, take care of your family, and not be dependent upon that government. That means that you have to become the government of God. You have to learn to take care of one another in active love. You cannot love people from a pew. You have to do it out on the street where they live, in their homes, on their, in their communities. Where you have to start taking care of the social welfare of everybody around you. Through faith, hope, and charity, which is what John the Baptist was preaching. You have two coats, share it with those who have none. Now, a lot of people go out and they start, uh, you know, rescue missions for drug addicts on the street. They stay drug addicts. They stay uh, selfish people. But we will make sure that our selfish people are clothed (laughs) and fed. But that's not really the goal. Sodom and Gomorrah did that. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They made them weaker by giving and giving and giving. So we want to give rebuke when necessary, food when necessary, clothes when necessary. But we have to give according to a certain spirit that strengthens people in their walk towards the kingdom. Because the more you start to do this with kingdom precepts and principles, which we're not even going to get to in this show, we'll have to do it in the in the next show. Uh, the more we're going to start seeing... This may be a three-hour, four-hour series before we're done. Because <laughs> this is really critical on how you seek the kingdom of God. How do you do that? What kind of steps do you take? We are drunk on the blood of the saints. We are drunk on the blood of our brothers. We live in a society that has been socialist for over 150 years in America. In other countries, it's, it's been as longer. It's, it's been a century in almost every country. Public school is socialism. Social security is socialism. That's socialism. It's just, a, you know, like how, how much? Oh, I just drink, uh, you know, four uh, drinks uh, in the evening. I never drink till after 6 o'clock. Till after I'm 60. The reality is, is you're still drunk. You're still drink. That those benefits come to you because men who exercise authority one over the other has taken money away from your neighbor. Now, they have a right to do that because your neighbor signed up and said, "Oh yeah, let's have one purse," because that will benefit me. Which Proverbs? Go read Proverbs one. That's your assignment. Go read Proverbs. You're caught in the net of your own making. Go read Paul. Go read David. What should have been for your welfare has become a snare. The pig has returned to admire. You have rejected God and elected men who can exercise authority over you and your neighbor so that you will be safe because you thought those men would be your salvation. And you didn't realize it, but it begins to draw you towards that dark side where they exercise authority over everybody, where they feed on each other. These these concepts of vampires and werewolves and Frankenstein monsters that we write books and movies about, 
that's the world where you live. I actually have known somebody that lived next door to a guy who wrote some of these horror movies and was some of them are rather famous. I can't even remember which ones they are. I don't know, Friday the 13th one or whatever. But they lived a very dark life. And I, I may be wrong about which one it was, but it was famous ones. I don't watch any of them, so I, I don't remember them. But a very dark life. And they see these ideas in their dreams, and they they get get up and they write them. And the reality is, is they're seeing hell, and they're writing about it. That's what hell is full of, is vampires and werewolves. A vampire is someone who drinks the blood of other people to stay alive himself. This is the nature of evil. This is the nature of socialism. And and werewolves, they just rip you apart. They take the blood, the flesh, everything. There are those two. Bite your head off, man. We are dealing with these two realms, and they're coming closer and closer together. And the, and there is a huge amount of, I mean, what Lord of the Rings? What's that? He's seeing it, telling you about it. He gives power to some, but one ring rules them all. Because the evil behind all this, it doesn't share. It's not a sharing spirit. It's not like God. It's missing that element of God. It has the power. The way to defeat that evil is to become sharing, become loving, become giving. Giving in a way that strengthens, that gives life, that sets you free. You want to be free, set others free from your need. That means create a society that operates by faith, hope, and charity, and by love. Where the bonds of your society are not contractual in this world. They are not corporate. They are not organized into a single body in this world, but they are organized in the world in which God lives, in the unseen world of love and life. And we'll have to explain more of this in the next show on Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Join with us and others by going to hisholychurch.org and clicking on the guy with a net and join the network in your local areas and begin that search for the kingdom of God with others. Why? Because you may need help, sure. But more than that, you need to help others. There's a huge problem in America today with depression and that problem is the result of selfishness. Nothing will cure depression more than starting to think about others as much as you think about yourself. 
It will give you purpose. It will give you meaning. It will give you what you need, which is to help others. Because that's what God is. God is a giver of life. He come, Christ came to serve. If you don't come and wake up every morning with the purpose of serving others, then Christ does not and cannot live in you. You need to have that desire to serve others. And not to take pride in it, but it be actually a part of your very nature. If you're going to have addictions, that is a better one to have than an addiction to taking from others. So anyway, we're going to continue this series on AA, or maybe we should call it SA, Sinners Anonymous, and seek a way in which we can turn around, repent, and go another way. And we were talking about sobriety in the AA movement. Uh, it where the, uh, someone quotes that uh, sober also reveals a path and desired character. This sobriety is manifested in the way people live their lives, not in what they say. Sobriety is life lived in the pursuit of simplicity and serenity, a way of life that avoids excess, another way of saying lives by faith, hope, and charity. Now, that, I was quoting from a letter that somebody else wrote, but uh, I looked up a few places where we see the word sober or sobriety mentioned in the Bible. And actually, in the New Testament, there's several different words that are translated in those ways. But in Titus 2.12, we see teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And again, there's that word, world. Does that mean constitutional order or system of government? Does that mean age in our time? What does it mean? Well, you have to look that up in order to find out. But that word has to do, uh, as soberly there, has to do with this as you should be. And you should not be coveting your neighbor's goods. You should not be desiring benefits that come from men who exercise authority over your neighbor and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That is anti-Christ. And anybody, anybody who says that's okay, that's fine, you're saved anyway, is of the devil. And I'm telling you that. A lot of your ministers today in the Christian church are of the devil. They have crept in with damnable heresies. And they are leading you down the road to hell because they're saying it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through governments that exercise authority one over the other and Christ said it was not to be that way with you and they're saying yeah it can be that way with you you're saved because you said some words in 1 Thessalonians 5 8 it says but let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet and hope for salvation. Hope. Why do you need entitlements if you are living by hope? You'd, it's not, Entitlements are not hope. They are guarantees. Guaranteed by men who exercise authority one over the other. It is the antithesis of Christ. I don't. I, I'm, I'm shocked that more people can't see it. I understand that they can't because they're walking around dead. 
They're zombies. They have been killed by the modern church. Their souls are strangled and smothered, and their ears are stopped up with wax of false gospels. They're not living by faith. They're living by force. They're not living by love. They're living by lust. They want their benefits. They want their guarantees. And here I am saying, no. That's sin. What an iconoclast. What a meanie. I'm breaking their bubble. Oops. Excuse me. First Timothy 3.2 A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And we could go through all those words. But the reality is, is you know, I've, I've seen bishops who are not sober. <laughs> I've seen ministers who are not sober, uh, either because of alcohol or otherwise. Certainly not good behavior. I'm amazed at the ministers who get into such terrible trouble with bad behavior. And they say, oh yes, but we have to forgive them. It says, no, they, they need to be good men. If your church is making excuses for them, you're weakening them. You're destroying them. You need to turn around. You need to repent. You need to get out of those churches if those churches condone such unsober activity. They're not blameless. And they need to be. Okay, let's let's talk about, we said we were going to talk about AA and these 12 steps. And these are going to be helping you with your steps towards the kingdom. Because it's amazing how close these guys did get to some of these principles. Just like I said, even though there are people who dream evil dreams and think about vampires and werewolves. And, and uh, they're fascinating with uh, control and, and uh, power. And they see these images of the world that they are close to. And they write movies about them. But the reality is there are also men who are close to the kingdom of heaven. And they tell about them and you see them in their actions. And there, then there are those who know the way they should look towards the kingdom of God. And they put it on as a show on the outside. And... Those are the whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. But anyway, first precept. It says in Alcoholic Anonymous in their 12 steps, it says, We admitted we are powerless over alcohol. That our lives had become unmanageable. And I ask, can you save yourself? Isn't this what... In order to repent, in order to turn around, you have to admit that you're going the wrong direction. And that you're powerless in this. You've been drawn into this. People say, oh, well, they signed me up when I was a kid. You've been in this system. You're not a kid anymore. You went to public school at the expense of your neighbor. And your parents have a right to sell you. They own you. And that's what you see. If you read our Call No Man Father... Which is why Jesus said, call no man father on earth. No man on earth father. He's not talking about your natural father. He's talking about government. And we show you in the pamphlet, that's exactly what he's talking about. All the, the emperor was called our father. 
the senators were called father. Senators of, all the senators of Rome, you addressed them father. And he's saying, call no man on earth father. Everybody there in that crowd knew exactly what he was talking about. He's using the same word in the Latin and the Greek is patri, father. They all knew. You don't know. You When you call your government senators and congressmen, that's your father. They make your laws. They tell you when you have to be in at night. They tell you what you can eat. They can tell you what you got to fasten your safety belt. They can tell you all these things. They are your father. And they provide you with benefits. They have set a whole table of benefits out there. It's amazing. We talked about this before. How people living on benefits alone take home a bigger paycheck than somebody working 60 hours a week. To say nothing of, you know, if their kids get sick, they get all that paid for. If you start adding it all up, they're huge. Huge benefits. The table is just full of goodies. But that table is set by men who exercise authority one over the other. Where is the table of the Lord? It's certainly not in churches. I mean, how many of you can go to your church and say, I lost my job. Can you guys help me get back on my feet? What would they tell you? Oh, yeah, we'll pray for you. Meanwhile, why don't you go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority? You cannot save yourself. You have to come to this with the character of Christ. You have to think about saving others. You have to come with the humility of realizing that you cannot save yourself. Second step. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Again, both step one and step two are talking about humility. You can't do it. You need somebody else to help you do it. They have to change you. You cannot change yourself. You cannot decide what is good and evil. You cannot make yourself good. You need another power other than yourself. You need to plug into something greater than yourself. Step one and two, same. Recognize you can't do it. Recognize somebody else can. Step three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. You don't understand God. You have some understanding of God. But you don't understand Him all the way. But whatever understanding you have of the God of heaven, you have to realize that it must be not my will, but thine. Again, humility. Submission to that greater power that you recognize must exist. Now, how do you plug into that power? Does it live in other men and women? And can you recognize it when it's coming from them? And this is why you gather together. Not just so that you can... You're going to plug into God Himself directly, individually, if you realize these things. But you come together because iron sharpens iron, because... When you're there, you can start doing like Christ did, serving one another. Can you imagine? You start getting all kinds of people that are there for others, not just for themselves. They're there for others. They're trying to become unaddicted to selfishness, which brings sin. So you got three. Humility, humility, humility. Turning around, repent, turn our lives over to God instead of trying to do it ourselves. Recognize that we cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil of a source. We must eat of the tree of life, which is God, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. 
We have to plug into the other side, not into hell. Hell is where the benefactors who exercise authority, the vampires, the goblins, the the werewolves live, who want to devour you. You want to plug into this other source. Any government that takes from one class of citizen and gives to the other is born out of hell. It's not born out of God. God lets you do that. But God did not create that government. The hell in you created that government. And it was a rejection of God that brought you to it. Go read Samuel. For Samuel 8. Number four. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Ah. How many people want to do that? To look at your own problems. We're going to rip the fig leaf off of you. No, we're not going to do it. You do it yourself. Realize you're naked. See your error. See your fault. That's going to be a long, ongoing process. That's not going to happen overnight. That's why it says, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek it by seeing yourself. Examining yourself. Don't just sit there and judge yourself and pick on yourself and beat yourself up. Just see it. Yeah, I see it. I, I, I accept. I see. What do you think baptism is? It's a symbolic washing away. You wash away by seeing. We we teach a meditation that goes way back in ancient times. And we don't emphasize it so much on the air. But it's very simple. It's basically you sit still. You sit still and, and whatever thoughts come up, you see them. It's not, you don't blot your mind out with mantras or anything like that. You sit still and be aware of yourself sitting there. For a few minutes, with your eyes closed, don't don't turn on the radio, don't look for distractions. Just see yourself and see what comes up. Be still. And this prayer, in, in that moment, you're praying, God, show me. Show me myself as I really am. Show me what I need to see today. Don't daydream, just be still. And wait upon the Lord. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Then get up, go out there and do something. But anyway, that fearless moral inventory, thats we do that. <laughs> Five, ad, admitted to God. And when you guys get together in your congregations, take five minutes. Everybody sit still and be quiet before you start talking. Sit still. Set a timer. Do an egg timer. Three minutes. Three minutes of prayer. <laughs> quiet prayer. Don't mumble things in your head. Be quiet. Three minutes. Try that in your congregations. Number five, admit admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Ah, sounds like confession. But not for absolution from that person on the other side of the screen. He can't forgive sins. But we willing to stand naked in the eyes of God and the eyes of other people admitted, you know, I did this. I'm not proud of it. Not to everybody, but to somebody you trust. And be careful about who you trust. But, you know, share it with somebody. I mean, spouse, whatever. I haven't always been good. You know, don't don't hide it. You know, expose the light. And let that light come in and wash over you. And that's testimony. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic. I I was selfish. 
I was a sinner. I wanted to exercise authority. I got mad. You don't have to do the whole thing. You don't have to do it as a ritual. You don't have to do it all the time. But start admitting what you've become and that you're sorry. Until, you know, it doesn't have to be the same person for everything. <laughs> a, a little at a time. Be willing to admit. Okay, number six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character. Again, that's that humility thing. They realize that we cannot wash ourselves. Our hands are dirty. But we can be washed. And, and you know, a lot of Christians are popular says, Oh, I was washed in the blood. Wonderful little statement. It's absolutely meaningless meaningless in the mouths of most of the people who say it. <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. Defects in our character by putting on Christ's character. You're not washed in the blood unless you have the character of Christ. If you're still blowing your top and getting angry and full of impatience and and need people to look up to you and not really coming to serve their petty little you know, needs, such as wash their feet, not making a ritual out of it, but actually out there dealing with the dirt so that they would want to confess to you what they've done wrong because they've learned to trust that character of Christ in you. That's that's where the defects of the character go away is when Christ comes into you. When you, And I tell you, if you're having trouble confessing this to somebody, serve them. If your sin has been impatient, go be patient with somebody. <laughs> and your confession will be in your actions. And, and all of a sudden you will find it easy. Yeah, I was very impatient. You know, if you just walk up to I wanted to confess that I was impatient. That's hard. And it's a little silly. But if you go and be patient with somebody, especially somebody who's impatient, somebody who's angry and upset, someone who gets angry and upset, you can see them getting worked up, and you go over there and you listen to their confession and accept with patience their dumping on you. Because this is where that can go. That people go around dumping their problems. Oh, I feel better. They make everybody else around them feel terrible. But they feel better. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real repentant confession. And that's what you need to do. And share these confessions with each other. Because they're having just as much trouble in confessing this too. And and there's a very dangerous area in this confession thing, in this testimony thing, like I say, where you're dumping rather than repenting. You're just putting it on other people. And you don't want to do that. You want to be of service. So one of the best ways to confess your impatience is to be patient with others. The best way to confess your desire to exercise authority over others is to go out and serve others. Instead of ruling over them, serve them. So that they don't have to... Before they can rule over you, you do it. You know, you talk about traffic stops... This is where you need to be. He wants to rule over you. And you go there, well, what can I do for you? What can I help you? Like, not go and say, hey, you don't have authority over me. Why are you stopping me? Where's your probable cause? You go, you run to him and say, can I help you? 
realizing that he has an addiction to authority. And so you need an addiction to service. Because it's like paper, rock, scissors. Service trumps authority. <laughs> you, that's why Christ is saying these things like, go within the extra mile. He's telling you the secrets of the kingdom. Listen to him. Secrets of the kingdom is not rebel against those who think they have authority, but to serve them better. You'll have them weeping. They'll be sharing their donuts with you. And I, I don't mean that just facetiously. They actually did that. <laughs> They're going to take. First time I saw them, they were taking out their billy clubs and their guns. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, they were giving me donuts. So how did that happen? I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. You don't know what you're doing most of the time either. But you need to be doing what God is telling you. And that goes back to steps two and three. <laughs> so anyway. Okay, so step six was this. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character by putting his character in us. And then seven says, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Which, you know, these 12 steps, we can probably cut them down to about three. I mean, that's what, you know, we have 10 commandments uh, are 10 steps. But uh, you can turn them all down into love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. <laughs> See? So you can break them down. But we can break them down into 12 steps and it helps you. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. If you've got to this point of seven, you've already recognized that you can't do it. He has to do it. Somebody else has to do it. Remove it from you. Okay. Eight. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Now, they, they use the, 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 the verb became willing to make amends. So, we're making this list already having come to the conclusion that we would like to make amends. Okay, why are we making this list? Well, that's for number nine. But what we're talking about here is preparing for recompense, preparing for love. And by making that list, we may not be able to get to those people anymore. But we're making that list to so that we realize that we have harmed others with our impatience. Now, yes, that impatience was in us because somebody else harmed us and we didn't forgive them. And, and we became addicted to doing the same thing. We're breaking that cycle. We're breaking the bands which have connected us with another. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary to sever those bands that have connected us with another. What are those bands? Contracts? Covenants and constitutions? Or are those contracts, covenants, and the constitutions the evidence of spiritual bands that have connected us? Bands of unforgiveness. Bands of pride. Bands of, of desire to rule over others. Isn't that how we all came in to covetousness? We have been made merchandise. So, are we going to stop being merchandise because we throw off those that own us? Because we rebel against them with violence? You want to get rid of them? Learn to love. Learn to forgive. Learn to be patient. 
You can't do that without humility. Humility before God. Humility before God is a power to all the world. Number nine. After you make your list. May direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. We're talking again that recompense. You cannot love people from the pew. Pew love is stinky love. It smells. Because it does not have action. Love is an action word. And requires your action. You actually have to do that love. Now I know some of you out there are, are, are working in missions. And, and feeding the hungry on the streets. And, and doing these things. And that's fine. Good practice ground to learn patience, to learn forgiveness. Because you're going to see the same guys over and over again. And maybe that's where God's put you. But ultimately, you need to come together in a society that has a, a place in every village, in every town, that you can go and knock on that door, and the door will be open to you. And somebody inside there will have Christ living in them. And the demons that come to your door will be cast out. And those that love the demons will go with them. And those that are possessed of the demons and wish to repent will stay. This is what Christ was doing. I tell you, when you come in with Christ in you, demons flee. You need that protection. That is our wall. And evidently, I believe I just said all that for some one person listening. <laughs> I don't know who it was. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I may have just got a glimpse of them. But anyway, we'll go on to number 10. Continued to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Promptly admit it. What do they always say? You know, most of what I know about... Uh, AA until just now, in the last couple of days, I knew from, you know, little bits and pieces I'd pick up. Uh, I remember Bruce, the shark in Finding Nemo. I have grandkids and they've seen that and I've often heard it in the background <laughs> when I was with my grandkids. And uh, they always jump to the phrase, denial, you know, where somebody denies they have a problem. They deny that they have made an error. That they are weak. When you try to do eight and nine, you will miss things. You will skip over things. But when you're actually doing them, you'll come face to face with those things. And you cannot hide, you know, the fig leaf hiding thing. Hiding from the truth. You have to embrace the light. Turn around and face the light. And with that, you're going to see yourself as you really are. How selfish you've been. How unforgiving you've been. And if you're willing to see it, you will be set free from it. And part of being set free is setting others free. So you cannot judge others when you see it in them. When you get to that point of constant being immersed in forgiveness, impatience disappears. Impatience results. Number 11. Uh, we're not going to get all the way through these. We're going to have to... We'll save 11 and 12 to when we get back. 
But you can see how these uh, different aspects of the kingdom play out in what they're saying. But don't just think of it as alcohol. You have all kinds of addictions. Addiction to anger. Addictions to impatience. Addiction to benefits. Yeah, benefits. That's a big part of it. But that's symptoms of the problem. That we haven't turned around. That we aren't seeking righteousness. And we are not saved. Until we do. And we'll tell you more when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about the 12 steps to the Kingdom of God. And we're using as a template the uh, 12 steps to freeing yourself of the addiction of alcoholism presented by AA. And uh, with that template, we're showing the precepts of how it is to seek the Kingdom of Heaven and its righteousness. What, are, what does that mean to seek the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness? Well, of course, we're, we've become addicted to sin. And the sins that we commit are the evidence of that addiction. And it really, you know, uh, nobody goes to Alcoholic Anonymous and say, Well, I, I don't want to give up drinking. I just want to give up bourbon. <laughs> you know? They don't do it that way. They're, they're not just giving up bourbon. Or, you know, I'm not going to drink rye anymore. Uh, I didn't really like it anyway. You know, it's kind of the old Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn thing where they felt guilty about, uh, you know, uh, stealing all the food as they were traveling down the river. So they were going to give up some of that stealing. And they weren't going to steal persimmons anymore. <laughs> so they're going to steal all the other food, but they weren't going to steal persimmons. And that gave them a ease of conscience. Uh, the reality is, is... Uh, and they said they didn't like persimmons anyway. And besides, they weren't going to be ripe for another month. Um, so that's not really giving up. No, giving up sin is changing. When you start changing in the area of whatever sin it is that you have, all the other areas change. Because we're talking about not willfully saying, I'm not going to drink anymore. It's like changing something inside yourself where you're no longer a pig anymore. And now going back to the mire is not attractive. And why is it not attractive? Because whatever it was that you were trying to fill with going back to that mire, you've now filled with something else. You've been filling your life with selfishness. You've been you've been you've never been weaned from your mother's milk. You're still sucking on your neighbor like you used to suck on your mother. And you need to change. You need to start standing on your own in every aspect of your life. And so, anyway, we went through, in the first part of the show, we went through the uh, these uh, 12 precepts, but we didn't get to 11 and 12. So now we're going to read those. Sought, 
through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him, or understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Now, that's a, that is a, you know, that is so biblical. That is so Christ-like in its precepts. Is what, but it's also, you know, that you've recognized that. You go back over those other ones. You recognize that you can't do it yourself. That you're going to need help from somebody greater than you. That somebody is not some guy or charismatic character. It is, you know, your image of God is actually God, and you have an image of Him, and you're hoping, hoping that that image conforms to the God. So it's from this point of view of humbleness, and you come and you try to make recompense, and you're trying to do this by helping others. And so you've got all the workings for an actual congregation, what we call a congregation of record. And we're going to get into more of that, and we may not get into it all in the show, because there are also 12 traditions that they have, and we're going to make this probably a three-part show, uh, or three-show series. But anyway, this idea of sought through prayer and meditation. Prayer. What is prayer? And I get asked that question. We have a few shows on that. Prayer is what you really want. It's what you really ask for. I'll give you an example. There was a movie, uh, Johnny Depp, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or something, and he had this compass that would point the way to what he really wanted. Whatever it was that he really wanted would point the way. And, of course, when he first got it, it pointed the way to this treasure that he really wanted uh, that in his ship and these things. And he could find that by following this compass. But then in the one show, it was all of a sudden he did. Every time he held it, it didn't point to the treasure. It evidently pointed to the girl. And he didn't. Because that's really what he wanted, but he <laughs> couldn't point to that. And so he was always handing it to somebody else. Well, you hold it. <laughs> you know, because he didn't know what he really wanted. So we often pray for things. And there's an old adage, when the gods wish to punish us, they grant us our prayers. And that that may be a lot of truth to that. We don't even know what to pray for. And this goes back to steps one through nine. Is do we pray for do you want to give up these addictions to benefits or to alcohol so that you can exercise authority over somebody else without the meddling of government you can rule over somebody else's life without competition well I can't help you you're not going to get closer to the kingdom we talked about this earlier is that a lot of people who don't want to be ruled over by the governments of the world the tyrants of the world, the men who exercise authority, they don't want to be ruled over by them, but they are still in love with ruling over somebody else. So, what is your prayer? And that's something you have to take a look at. Do you really want to be like Christ who gives up his life for others? And Christ said, you give up your life so you have life more abundant. And here's a little glimpse into the metaphysics of this prayer. Is that you know, this idea of giving up your life so you have life more abundant. 
we're conduits for that life that we plug into. When you're plugged into the tree of life, instead of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not going to decide for yourself, but you're plugging into the tree of life, and it's going to show you what you need to do, the will of God. And it's going to give you the power by which to do it. Now, that power comes to you, you have to use it. If you don't use it, you stop up the pipe. You become spiritually constipated. When God gives you a gift, you must use it. Christ gives you a whole parable. You know, one talent, two talents, three talents. The two guys used the two talents and three talents, but the one guy took the one talent, folded it up in the napkin, didn't do anything with it. So he had it taken away from him. This is the precept. He's telling you. The metaphysical precept of the parable. If God gives you the power to help somebody and you don't do it, He's going to take power away from you. You must act upon what He gives you. If He gives you knowledge, you must go out and share that knowledge. Be careful now. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't jump out there as some kind of preacher that's going to beat other people over the head. And We'll get into that in the traditions of AA and the traditions of God and the traditions of men. But anyway, uh, so that prayer, what is your prayer? Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to have Christ's nature really in you? Do you come to serve? If you don't, pray that God show you the benevolence of that service and how that is important. Pray first to God to give you His prayer. I don't know what I should ask for. Thy will be done. Show me the prayer of the Lord. And I will seek that prayer. And when he shows you, act upon it. And he will give you the next verse. Repeat after me, so to speak. Meditation. Meditation really comes down to a simple concept. Wait upon the Lord. Ask and you shall receive. And I tell the old story about the guys who all were praying. They went one after another, pray, 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 pray. And then finally they asked me, oh, what did I think of it? I says, well, I all heard you talking. When are you going to let God say something? Meditation is waiting upon the Lord, waiting for His answer, waiting for Him to show you. Not filling in where He isn't by plucking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wait upon the Lord to show you and reveal it to you. Because the kingdom of heaven is built by the revelation of God writing upon your heart and your mind. And if you're jibber-jabbering all the time, he can't get a word in edgewise. So shut up and listen for the still small voice. So anyway, so steps 11 are really steps 1 through 10. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps... We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Again, there you go. You guys say, oh, I'm saved. I was saved on, you know, April 13th, 1942 or whatever it was. Um, And that's it. No. You must be a doer of the word or your faith is dead. And your salvation is non-existent. It didn't happen. It was an emotional event. And you were like the seeds that sprouted and withered away. And did not grow. And you're, you're constantly going to church to renew that feeling. That delusion. And you got lots of ministers out there that will help you maintain the delusion. 
as long as you keep tithing and looking up to them. Because some of them don't want just money. They want adoration. So, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Love thy neighbor as thyself in all thy actions. If you ask a man who calls himself benefactor but exercises authority for a benefit, you are asking him to go to your neighbor's house and take away from him so that you can have that benefit. Now, he already has the legal right to do that, but every time you need a benefit from him, you betray God. Don't ask him. Okay, but you're going to need help. So seek the kingdom. Gather together with others. Start becoming the benefactors who do not exercise authority one over there. Stop becoming the dog. Stop becoming the pig. And start becoming the Christian who follows the ways of Christ. If you, That's why you gather together, to help others, not to be helped. Christ didn't come to be helped. He came to help others. You must do the same. It's so simple. If you don't, you will be sucked into that addiction again. You will have no power to stand against it because you have not put on the armor of God, which is forgiveness and giving and patience and love. You haven't been doing that. Your churches are not enmeshed in that. They are not baptized in that. They have token love. Most of the care in your society is done by the benefactors who exercise authority and you wonder what the problem is? You're going to vote somebody in that's going to change all that? Voting somebody in is what got you where you're at. Because that vote was a rejection of God. Go read. A vote for a king or I've got it under several different titles but uh, the voice of the people. That's what it says in the Bible. Go read that. Voice of the people. That's back in Samuel. Again, 1 Samuel 8. Read it. It's in common sense. But there's not much common sense today. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about the traditions. I don't know if we'll get to all that. But anyway, there are 12 traditions too. And I just discovered that this morning when I was up early looking for what I was going to uh, talk about. And we'll probably do a whole show on that. Uh... And it's really kind of interesting because I've got a ton of Bible quotes in here that will uh, accentuate this. Because one of the problems in the Bible, if we read in Matthew fifteen six, it says, And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And he uses a particular word there, tradition, which is defined as an act of giving up. It's actually defined a giving over, which is done by word or mouth or in writing. And it specifically uh, is defined as the surrender to the city or of the city. It's the surrender whereby you go under the civil authority because you give yourself over. It actually has to do with... uh, uh, Laws and regulations. It's even translated ordinance elsewhere in the Bible. But in the particular quote that we're looking at here, they're talking about Corbin. And the Corbin of the Pharisees 
was a Corban that you signed up for with baptism. You literally got baptized by the Pharisees, and they signed you up for this system of Corban. And they just used an old ancient tradition, uh, ancient ritual of baptism, which started way back there at Sinai. Actually, it started even before that, but we see it mentioned in the Bible at Sinai, where they go wash up. And But they do this ritual dunking in water, and then you come out, and you're signed up, and you're registered, and you have to pay in now uh, a portion of what you make every year, and they will guarantee you benefits. And this increased the treasury of Herod so great that he was able to build this golden temple. And why so much gold? is Because that was the reserve fund. As long as you could see that gold all over there, you knew that they had all this money there for your needs if you had needs, like you became blind or injured or whatever. And this was a system of social welfare. The problem was once you signed up, you had to pay in. There were actually men with uh, swords and spears and courts to force you. If you were not paying, they could actually uh, confiscate your property. And they sent out guys to do that. And, of course, when Christ was in the temple and actually seen in the treasury, he ordered that that stop. And that's what is talking about when he talks about ordering the vessels not to be carried in the temple anymore. They weren't going to force these contributions. They were going to do exactly what John the Baptist said, live by faith, hope, and charity. If you have extra, you share. He was turning, He this is what he was doing when he was overturning the temple uh uh, porters, tables. That's what the money changers were. They had become money changers, but they were the porters of the temple, and only the king could fire the porters of the temple. Been that way since David. It tells you that in the Old Testament. But your ministers are ignorant of this. The fact is, the church you really go to, that's the church down there with soldiers and policemen and men who carry guns who force the contributions of the people. That's the real church you're baptized into. This other superstition that you baptize yourself into that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof and says, oh, the kingdom's not really at hand. It's coming some later time. If you need anything, you go down to the benefactors who exercise authority. We're just here to make you feel good one day of the week about all the other sins you did. It's very clear in the precepts of uh, the uh, AA people. They're not trying to make you feel good about your addiction. They're trying to make you aware of it. They offer you support so that you don't go back to it. But they're very single-minded and focused on that. They're trying to relieve you of that sin of addiction. And that's what we're talking about, the sin of addiction. One of the major sins of addiction today is that desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. It's not the only one. It's also the desire to exercise authority over your neighbor to rule over your neighbor, to force your neighbor to do things your way. And we see this in modern denominations. You've got to say it this way. You've got to say, I accept the blood of Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, or you're out. But that's not the rules that Christ was giving. Christ was saying that you had to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you do that? If you don't do that, I don't believe that you've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're able to abandon everybody you know or the people that you've worked with because they don't say things a certain way that you want them to say things. And even when Jesus says it's not those who say, but those who do. 
then you don't know Christ. And you're not going His way, and you're probably better off leaving them anyway, because you're probably dragging them down. Anyway, so where do you want to head? You want to take some of these steps towards the kingdom? Then join us on the Living Network. Go to hisholychurch.org. Sign up on a, a network near you. You know, we have them in Texas and Carolinas and New York and, and all these different places. And then, But when you get on there, try to find other people and form congregations of record. What's a congregation of record? That's back to that testimony thing. They're saying, I'm going to gather together with these little groups. It's like, I don't know what AA calls them, uh, but they're little chapters. They're independent. And when we get into the traditions, which we won't get into in this show, we'll, we'll get into it in the next one. Uh, we'll show you how these congregations work. They're not corporations. People are always so afraid of organized religion, and we'll talk about that then too. But there's different definitions for the word organized. And there's one where it's corporate, where you're blending yourself together with other people in physical structures today, in this world. And our congregations are not bound together that way. Uh, they're bound together by invisible bonds of love and hope and honor and faith. These are the bonds that bind the people together. So there's nothing physical about our congregations except for the fact that they recognize someone as the minister of that congregation. And that person's job is to connect them with other congregations through a relationship that he develops with the ministers of those other congregations. We don't want you to have a relationship just with that minister, which is a big problem in, in, in churches and networks everywhere, is that they want there are ministers out there who want you to keep your eye on them. And we'll go over this in the tradition section of this series. That is bad. We don't want you to keep your eye on the minister. I don't want you to keep your eye on me. I want you to keep your eye on Christ. I want you to keep your eye on me to make sure I don't go wrong. But I am not your salvation. Christ is. And that has to do with an inner relationship, a spiritual arcing between you and Christ. Where he is writing his laws upon your heart and your mind. Because you're seeking his ways, his character. But you come together seeking that character also in other people, not so that they will rule over you, but so that you can serve one another. That's why Christ points out that you he used to be highest amongst you, used to be servant to all, because your minister is not a ruler who tells you what to believe. Your minister is a servant who helps connect you with other people so that you can not only help those people in your local congregation, but so that your local congregation to gather together for the purposes of helping people in other congregations. And this is kingdom. Just focusing on your congregation and the minister who wants you to look up to him for an hour and a half every weekend and to tithe to him, that's not kingdom. That's congregationalism. And while there are congregations in the kingdom, each man is autonomous within his family. Because we are returning every man to his family and every man to his possessions. But we cannot do that ourselves. God can do that through us 
if we begin to do that with each other. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods. That's really kind of at the crooks of it. But I tell you, once you uncover that, then you're going to uncover some of the other elements of your character that are not really of Christ either. And you're going to start that journey back. And there will be many rabbit trails along the way, many loops, because you have to cover this ground, and cover that ground, and cover this ground. And each time, you will reveal a different aspect of how you have strayed away from the kingdom of God. And you will be drawn more and more to it. And, and you won't even realize necessarily all the time the process of being drawn towards the ways of Christ. But it will begin to change you inside. And you'll begin to see things that you could not see before. People always want to know the future. I mean, I had a Bible study once and they all wanted to talk about Revelation. As if that would give them an edge. What would give you an edge is the wisdom of Christ living in you. Because then you don't need to know what's coming. You'll be in the now. In the kingdom. Until we meet again, may God be with you and may peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.